Well, um, I'm excited about this missions trip that we're going to be doing, and uh, there's still opportunity for uh, any of you that would like to come to join. Uh, there's no limit on the number of places. We've already got a, quite a lot of people coming, but it's going to be amazing. But what we want to do is we want to join Brent and Wendy, uh, who are amazing, dear best friends of Kate and I's. Brent is a, they, they actually together own a number of dental practices um, in Winnipeg, in, in Winnipeg, Canada, and uh, Brent is a very, very successful dentist, and he had a, a career stretching in front of him that would have made him just inordinate amounts of money and so on and so forth, perhaps, I don't know, but when he was uh, first married, he went with Wendy to the Dominican Republic for their honeymoon. And he had all the, he told me he had all these like desires, you know, I'm going to get nicer and nicer cars and more and more cars and bigger and bigger houses and more properties around them, blah, blah, blah. And, um, <clears throat> but he went on this honeymoon and they decided to uh, go off the resort, the all-inclusive resort, and they just went for a walk. And as they went for a walk, they just walked into abject poverty in the communities and uh, squatter camps and all kinds of uh, human tragedy in those places. And uh, as they're walking around, they, they just began to, you know, hear from the locals that the houses are being made of basically mud and wood and plastic and whatever they could get their hands on uh, was just so, just so frail and fragile that every time a big storm would come through, it would just wash all of their possessions and everything away. And it just so touched Brent and Wendy's heart. And uh, they're... Wendy's like, Brent, we got to do something. You know, we got to give the rest of our lives to this. And he's like, honey, we can't possibly do anything. How can we help, you know, these folks? We live in Canada. They're here in the Dominican Republic. This is, you know, communities. I'm sure they've got government or somebody that can help them. And she's like, no, no, no. Look, they're living on this government land squatting and, and so on. There's got to be something we can do. Well, he's going home thinking, I don't, I'm not sure, honey. And he's like, I don't know whether what he was you know, thinking but at that moment, but he certainly was like, I don't think we can do anything. Well, then he read this story about a father, and some of you have heard me say this before, that was walking on a beach with his son, and uh, his five-year-old son, and as they're walking on the beach, they, re they see that there's been this horrible storm overnight that's washed up all these starfish on the beach, and uh, they're all dying, and uh, the, the little boy says, Daddy, what is all these starfish? And he said, well, there's been a storm, son, they've washed up. And he's like, Daddy, we've got to do something for these fish. And he's like, son, we can't do anything. Come on, we just keep going. And he's like, no, Daddy, we've got to do something. And the father's like, no, son, we can't do anything. There's too many of them. Let's just keep walking. And he hears behind him, splash, splash, splash. And he turns around. He says, son, what are you doing? He sees his son putting the, gently throwing the starfish back into the water. And, 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 he's, and he said, Dad, we can't do anything about these these thousands and thousands, but we can do something about these ones right here. And it just so touched Brent's heart as he read that story. And he realized, you know what, there's, there's not a lot that we can do, but we can do something. And whatever that something is, we're going to do it with all of our hearts. And they decided, we're going to go back, we're going to find out what the problems are, we're going to get among the people, we're going to find out the situation, and we're going to trust God that he's going to use us to help solve the problems. So when they, when they got back, they, they, back to Canada, they booked another vacation time, saved up, went on the vacation. While they were on vacation, they were actually 
on a, on a, uh, a missions trip. They turned it into a missions trip and they found out that the squatters, uh, on the, the laws of the land was that if they had some kind of structure, they could make a claim on that land and that land, the papers and deeds could be handed over to them by the government and uh, they would become the owners of that land. And so they, uh, they dis- began to start to work with uh, Dominican Republic people. Uh, they started to employ one or two individuals to work in this shanty village and uh, they began to help slowly but surely over the last 10, 11 years, they have helped scores and scores of families convert their uh, the, the land that they're squatting on to become their own personal land with government uh, signed off deeds and they've then gone in and they've transformed their housing by building the most amazing houses in comparison. Very, very comfortable, very safe, very uh, watertight because uh, they, they've designed them specially so the floods go washing by without taking any of their livelihoods with them. And what they found is that the families have begun to start to prosper because the kids have started getting educated. They're literally, in 10 years, over a decade, they've watched complete transformation happening in their communities. And you know, folks, I just think that, that it, to me, it's a story that each of us can take ownership of and realize that all around us, there's all kinds of stuff happening, human tragedies left, right, and center around us. I'm going to preach in a moment uh, my sermon this morning. There's all kinds of opportunities for us, and we can get numb to that and realize that, and, and have an attitude, oh, there's not a lot that we can do, but if we just allow the Holy Spirit to show us that we can do something. And, you know, Kate and I have been doing missions trips all over the world. Uh, I've never seen anything that so touched my heart as this because here's a dentist and his wife using their personal finances to completely transform a community in the Dominican Republic. They've been taking uh, teams from Canada and the US over there, but they've been funding it. And I said to Kate, honey, surely we as Catch the Fire Raleigh Durham can do something to help them. And so we just talked with Murray and Ash and JT and Kathy, and we decided, you know what? Well, uh, Kate and I will lead a missions trip in May. That was a year ago. We decided last May we'll do one in May 2019. And we will give an opportunity for you to sow into this so that we as a church can build two of these houses. The coolest thing is that they put the starfish shine on these houses. They make them really colorful coral colors or, you know, blues and bright Caribbean colors. And then they put a starfish, bam, right by the doorway. And uh, the thing that really touched my heart is I said, well, how in the world do you avoid people getting jealous in the community? Because you can't do it for everybody. You're doing it one at a time, families at a time. And uh, surely there's jealousy. And they said, no, the community have been so touched by this that they're all excited for the next person who gets their house. And they know God's got a plan for them to get their house in time. And they've got this celebratory attitude towards each other. I just love it. Because they know and understand that this is, this is you know, a dentist and his wife giving of themselves for this community transformation. Okay, this isn't some kind of project, some big project thing that everybody just gets, boom, whatever. It's, it, it's just out of their own means. And I guess somehow the community have cottoned onto that. And it's just so touching them. 
And uh, it's not an entitlement attitude. It's a celebratory attitude of everybody coming out of poverty. And I'm loving watching it. It's amazing. And I want to give you an opportunity to sow into that. Uh, if, that if it's touched your heart to do something, you can sow an offering or, or give an offering uh, into this. And uh, let's, it's $10,000 per house. That's all it is. And I just know that as a church community, I think that we can, across the two services, and maybe some of you online, you also can give online. You can um, go to the website and give, and also uh, through, through um, push pay. Thank you. I always think of PayPal. Push pay. And, uh, and you can write out your checks, credit cards, whatever. But just consider sowing an offering, and let's get two houses built, because I'd like to join in with this. It's amazing. It's amazing. I want a house that has a starfish and then CTF next to that starfish. Yeah, so you get, uh, just make sure you designate your offering to missions, okay? Make sure you designate your offering to missions. That way the team will know the regular tithes and offerings versus this missions offering to Dominican Republic. So, yay, I'm excited. I'm going to be, I'm more excited, honey, about building two houses. I'm going to be building them. Mm. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to be using these muscles right here and building the house. I'm excited about doing I'm more excited about building houses than I am about sitting around a pool on vacation. Now that's transformation right there. Shaka bongo. All right. Well, I want to speak this morning... The title of my message is The Glory of Confinement. The Glory of Confinement. And uh, we are continuing with our, um, in our series on the life of Joseph, Daniel, and Esther. And we're currently in the life of Joseph and looking at how presence, encounter, transformation, our values, our core values for Catch the Fire, are manifest in the lives of, of Joseph, Daniel, and Esther. And this is the third message in this series, and I want to speak on the glory of confinement. So turn with me, okay, to the book of Genesis and chapter 41. Chapter 41, Genesis 41. Joseph has had 13 years of slavery at this point, and uh, he was sold by his brothers into slavery. He ended up being taken down in chains and shackles down to Egypt, where he was bought in the slave market, no doubt naked, tattooed. And for the rest of his life, he carried those tattoos, even when he was uh, the ruler in Egypt under Pharaoh. And, uh, and then he ends up uh, working, being bought by Potiphar. And then Potiphar's wife double crosses him in the midst of the moment when he's most successful where God had given him favor and suddenly he found himself being double crossed by Potiphar's wife and Potiphar slows him throws him in jail for something that he never did and he didn't throw him in jail he threw him into a dungeon into the nastiest most horrible squalid dungeon full of human feces and darkness and even there God was with Joseph and prospered him and the, and the jailer put him in charge of the whole dungeon. But it was still a dungeon, everybody. Okay? It was still a dungeon. And I want to be, I, I want to say today that there are many of us, whether we're in this room as part of a 
Catch the Fire Raleigh Durham family or whether we're watching online as part of our online family. The reality is that many of us find ourselves in dungeons in our lives where, like Joseph, our dreams did not turn out the way we had hoped. And we find ourselves in a situation where there's, it feels like we're in complete bondage and we're wondering where in the world is our life going. And, uh, you know, I've just come to this point in my life where I've begun to realize that these, the dungeons of human experience are incredibly real for many, 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 many human beings. All around us, people's marriages are, feel like, they, they, it, it's almost as though their marriages are like a dungeon, where their lives, they feel like, well, my spouse, they're never going to change. My spouse doesn't love me. My spouse is, you know, this, that, and the other, and it just feels like you're confined and you're in a dungeon. Then there are people that are in dungeons with their children, where their children are making all kinds of crazy choices that are not just affecting the kids, but they're affecting the community around them and the most especially affecting the actual culture and environment of the family life. What started out so sweet, now all of a sudden the kids, um, it feels like they're turned into monsters. People... I don't know about you, but I've had friends who they've just, their just lives were going so well. And then all of a sudden, they, it turns out that they've got, you know, bondage to pornography or bondage to adultery or bondage to alcoholism, bondage to drugs, bondage to gambling, bondage to overspending on the credit card, bondage. Many have bondage by their own decisions. Many have bondage literally afflicted upon them. But the reality is, everybody, we all have experienced some kind of dungeon experience, some kind of confinement. And Joseph was able to find God in the midst of his dungeon because the dungeon is not our destination, everybody. Okay? The palace is our destination. And I want to pick up on Genesis 41 at the very end of the story of the season of Joseph in the dungeon, in a moment, he was set free from the dungeon. In a moment. Pharaoh had a couple of dreams. Nobody can interpret the dreams. The dreams had to do with seven years of famine after seven years of plenty. But nobody knew that. Nobody could interpret the dreams. And the biggest test in Joseph's life happened Suddenly, suddenly everybody. And that's the nature of our walk with God is that what we think is a dungeon that will last a long time, God is able to suddenly change in a moment our circumstances, in a moment. And Joseph finds himself being called for to Pharaoh's palace. From the dungeon to the palace in a moment. They shaved him. They changed his, well, they bathed him, saturated him in perfume to get rid of the stench of urine and feces. And they shaved him because his beard was yay long. His hair was yay long. And they cleaned him up and they put new fresh clothes on him and they presented him to the king. He went from darkness to the palace in a moment. And the king explains that he has these dreams and Joseph is put to the greatest test in his life so far. The greatest test is the greatest test that we all have. 
Where are we going to gain our significance from? Is our significance going to come from what we do, what we can do, all of our skills and abilities, what we've practiced, all of our incredible attributes? Or is all of our significance going to come from God himself? Are we going to, is our search for significance going to result in us trying in every opportunity to show how amazing we are? Or are we fully going to come to that place where we're fully yielded, that all of our significance comes from our heavenly daddy? And in a moment where we're tested, we give glory to God rather than gain it for ourselves. And as Pharaoh says, these are my dreams. And I've heard it said that you can interpret dreams Joseph passes the greatest test. He says, no, Pharaoh, I cannot interpret dreams, but there is a God in heaven who is able to interpret your dreams. Woo! I love it. And here we go. We pick it up. Verse 37 of chapter 41. So the advice, and then he, he interprets the dreams. Then he gives the most incredible advice and uh, that they should store up in the years of plenty in gigantic storage barns, collect a fifth of the produce in each year of the seven plentiful years so that when the years of famine come, the, the land would not perish and the people would not perish. Verse 37, so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? I want you to notice that giving glory to God allowed Pharaoh to discover that the God that Joseph was giving glory to dwelt inside of Joseph. Every time we give glory to God, every time we allow Jesus to shine through us, people around us will see that we're filled with Jesus. We're not filled with ourselves. And there's something about human beings that we just love being filled with ourselves, don't we? Yes, that's right. Oh, yes. Uh, you betcha I can interpret your dreams, Pharaoh, because, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a specialist. Yes, I've got an amazing prophetic gift, actually. Yes, I'm, in fact, my most amazing part of my most amazing prophetic gift is my most amazing ability of interpreting dreams. It's quite spectacular. And did I mention that I have words of knowledge just oozing out of me and words of wisdom just flowing from me? Of course, guys, we don't do that, do we? No, but we sit there rehearsing the moments we wished we could. But no, Joseph gave glory to God. And what was the effect of that? The effect was that he was recognized as a man in whom the Spirit of God dwelt in. Then Pharaoh says to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all of this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Excuse me. See, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off of his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Talk about promotion in a moment. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee, bow the knee, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, 
I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paaniah, and he gave him as his wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt, and Joseph was 30 years old. Uh, 30! I'm 21 years older than that now. He was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. And so he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and he laid up the food in the cities and he laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. I want you to notice that Joseph was a man of faith. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see. And he knew that these years of abundance were not to be squandered and he stewarded according to the plan of God. It would have been so easy for him to have just chilled out and relaxed. Oh, come on, there's loads of food. Most of the people were going, sure, famine? Yeah, right. Have you seen the abundance around here? There's famine. There's abundance everywhere. There's no way famine's coming. I tell you what, he must have been slightly nervous in the seventh year, hoping that all of his dream would come, that the interpretation would come true. But sure enough, it came true. Joseph, now to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, which means making forgetful. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, which means fruitfulness. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all the lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. So when the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all, all the face of the earth and Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. One day the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said to me, when was the moment of Joseph's greatest confinement? When was the moment of Joseph's greatest confinement? And I thought about it for a moment. I was like, I was familiar with the story. And I asked the Lord, Lord, when was Joseph's moment of confinement? I was thinking, was it, was it perhaps when he was thrown into the pit? Was it when he was put into shackles by the Midianites who were his distant relatives? Or was it when he was being led and his, and his legs and his arms were just worn through, no doubt, just oozing with terrible wounds from the shackles when he got to the slave market in Egypt? Or was it when he was naked and sold? Or was it when he was uh, betrayed by Potiphar's wife and thrown into the dungeons and was in the dungeons in all of that squalor? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, it was none of those moments, Duncan. The moment of Joseph's greatest confinement 
was the moment he said yes to, jo- to Pharaoh's offer to be his number two for the rest of his life and serve the people of Egypt and the nations of the world, following through on the plan of God that God gave Pharaoh in two dreams. From that moment, Joseph was confined and would never live out the dreams that he dreamed the way he dreamed them in the beginning, where he was at the center of his dreams, where he was the one that everybody was bowing down to. From that moment on, he realized, oh my goodness, the rest of my life, I'm the one bowing down. I'm bowing down to Pharaoh and I'm bowing in my heart by serving the people of Egypt. All the other confinements were merely practice and merely Uh, challenges to develop his character because what stands between the dreams and the fulfillment of the dreams is yours and my character being transformed. And there's something about all of his life that God allowed to happen that was incredibly confining to change and transform him to realize that in the kingdom of heaven, you're never more free than when you're more bound to God. It's the upside down kingdom. You're never richer than when you've emptied yourself of all the riches of this world. You're never more the boss than when you're serving everybody. You're never more in control than when you've let go of all the control of your life. It's a complete upside-down kingdom, everybody. And one day, I was, not too long after that, I was talking with my mom and dad. And I was sharing with them this, because we like, as my grandfather would say, we like to talk on higher things. And so I was with my mom and dad, and I was talking with them on higher things. We were enjoying coffee, but we weren't talking about how amazing the espresso was. We were talking about how amazing Jesus was in the midst of the espresso. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit, and I was saying to them, you know, when the moment of Joseph's greatest confinement was actually when he said yes to Pharaoh's invitation to rule over the, over the entire land under his leadership. He became Pharaoh's number two for the rest of his life. And my dad's like, wow, that's an interesting thought, Duncan. I've never thought of that. Right away, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said to me, and when is your moment of greatest confinement, Duncan, in your life? And I said, uh, I don't know. You know, it's just smart to to just know nothing when God is asking you for a question that you just don't know the answer for. And I'm like, Lord, I just don't know. And he said, the split second after you hear the voice of my son on judgment day saying, enter into your rest good and faithful servant, enter into the kingdom prepared for you before time began by my Father. Because from that moment, you will never, ever, 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 ever be the number one in your life, ever again. For all of eternity, you'll be a long way down the totem pole of, you'll be a long way down the pecking order. You see, think about Jesus Murray came up to me and he said in the worship, he said, Duncan, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the word of God himself was 
always from eternity and will always be for eternity, number two, to the Father. And he's totally happy with it. And because he's happy with it, the Father has given all things to his Son. All things were made by him, for him, and through him. Why? Because he's totally trustworthy with being confined. And Jesus, confined to his Father's will, emptied himself, Philippians 2. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped hold of for himself, but he emptied himself and took upon himself the nature of a servant, the nature of a bondservant. And he became made in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came into this world. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And he embraced the glory of confinement. And when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was facing this terrible cup of wrath and facing the reality of the cross. And he said, Father, if at all possible, please take this cup from me. Yet not my will be done, but yours, Father. And he became so intense in prayer that blood and sweat mingled together and dropped into the dust. Why? Because the reality of the confinement of the eternal second person of the Trinity, eternal Son of God himself, willing to become confined to you and I forever. Willing in that moment as he hung on the cross, he who knew no sin was made sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He was willing to be confined to your sin and my sin, to your death and my death to your friendship and my friendship, to your brotherhood and my brotherhood. He was willing to be confined for eternity to you. Died with you and me in our sin so that we could be raised with him forever in his righteousness. It's the glory of confinement. It's the nature of the kingdom. It's the nature of the king. I want to bring out five small keys to the glory of confinement. Number one, you are confined for greatness. You're confined for greatness. The moment You gave your life to Jesus. And for those of you who did that this morning, whether you're watching online or in this room, you prayed that simple prayer with Kate. That's all that's needed for salvation. You can't save yourself. You just surrender that he saved you. You yield and you believe. And it's credit to you as eternal righteousness. You're never the same again. You're born of the Spirit. You're born again. But the moment... You give your life to Jesus. The life of God, the life of Christ comes on the inside of you. Your spirit is united with his spirit. And you are one spirit with him, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 17. He who has joined himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. You are now united with Christ, to Christ, with Christ, in the Father, by the Spirit, forever. You are gloriously confined now. (laughs) 
the moment you became born again, you faced this little tiny narrow doorway called Jesus. Though, of course, he's not a little narrow doorway, but he looks like it in that moment for you because you realize as you look at Christ and you look at your life and you realize for me to be saved, for me to believe in Jesus, that's the end of me and the beginning of Christ. All of me for all of him, because all of him was given for all of me. And I'm going to have to get down on my knees now. I'm going to have to bow before the king because he's worthy of me bowing before him. Because he's my creator, he's my Lord, my God and my king and he gave his life for me. And I give up, I have to realize, what else is there for me to do but surrender my life to him and I give up all of me. All that I have and all that I am, I give it all up. And I die with him. And I come through this narrow doorway called Jesus his death, his burial. But now I'm raised with him on the other side. And here I am, confined to him forever, made alive in Christ, fully alive with all the riches of heaven. And I look back through what is now no longer a narrow doorway because I have an unlimited horizon. And I see that over there, all of my everything was really nothing. And here I am, in Christ, the true great I am. And he's given me all of his everything in exchange for all of my nothing. My stinky, poopy nothing. And all of my search for significance in all my filthy rags of my own works of righteousness amounted to nothing. Instead, I'm now clothed in him. Joseph discovered that the glory of confinement is that you're confined for greatness. Genesis 41 verse 40, Pharaoh said, you shall be over my house and all of my people shall be ruled according to your word. But then he says this, there's the caveat. There's a caveat to greatness because true greatness is never found in someone who lives for themselves. True greatness is only ever found in those who live for others. And true greatness is the sum total of all the small decisions they've made in their lives of giving up themselves for the life of others, giving up for themselves for the life of Christ, giving up for themselves for the life of others. Bye-bye to my nice fancy car. Hello, a community with lots of houses built for them to live in. Nothing wrong with a fancy car. But if, you're to, if you use all your excess for yourself, for more barns, for more this, for more that, for more the other, you're the poorest human being in history. But if you live to serve and you live to give, you find your greatest satisfaction in life. Shaka banga. And you die the richest having given it all away. What can you keep anyway? once you pass through that doorway in the sky. You shall be in charge of my house. All of my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. There you go. Joseph's moment of greatness turns out that it was his, also his moment of greatest confinement. 
Number two, his, he was confined for freedom. And to me, the name Manasseh speaks of this freedom. Because the word, the name Manasseh is fascinating to me. Joseph, having come out of the dungeons and having been given the daughter of the priest of On, Potiphar's daughter, I would imagine that she was probably very beautiful. I don't know, it doesn't say. But when a king wants to bless somebody that's ridiculously, outrageously blessed him, he's going to choose wisely when it comes to giving him a wife. I just have this feeling. And here he is now, and he's married to this woman, Asnath, the daughter of Potipharah, and they have their first child. And what does Joseph call him? He calls him Manasseh. Manasseh. I was meditating on this as I was preparing, and I've never had this thought, but it suddenly occurred to me. It says in verse 51, he called him Manasseh because he said, for God, for God has made me forget all of my toil and all of my father's house. There comes a moment in our lives, everybody, family, church family, those of you watching online, online family, all of you, there comes a moment in our lives when if we see God, we will forget all our toil. We will forget all of our troubles. We'll forget every single moment that we've been abandoned, that we've been rejected, that people have been mean to us, that people have been racially cruel to us, that people have under, underestimated us, overlooked us, that people have called us names, told us we'll never amount to anything, cursed us, you name it, whatever it is that's ever been spoken over us. There comes a moment when we see God and the face of Jesus causes us to come into complete forgetfulness about our woes and our trials. Why? Because we see in the kindness of his eyes and the love of his face and the goodness of his eternal love, we realize he's going to make all of our hours better, every single one of them. Every one of them. And I came to realize that first we see God. Somehow in the dungeons, Joseph saw God. Secondly, it caused him, the face of God caused him to forget that he was in a dungeon. And he came to the place where he was satisfied in God, whether he was in the dungeon in the dark or in the palace in the light, made no difference because he was at home in God. And then number three, his forgetfulness of everything outside of God was his biggest, his biggest turbo boost, supercharger boost to forgive and release his brothers and his family for the pain that they had done to him. Some of you today, it's time to come into a sea of forgetfulness, to come into a place where you allow God, maybe even right up here this morning, where you allow God to bring you to a place where you have a face-to-face -face encounter with his presence and you see his face and for the first time ever, you see all of your troubled past in the right light, in the light of his love, in the light of his goodness and the light of his power because God can change your life in a moment. Number two, 
Number three, sorry. Joseph was confined for fruitfulness. I don't think it was an accident that after he had his first son, forgetfulness, because he was so happy with God, he forgot all of his toil and all of his father's house, meaning the pain and the suffering that he had suffered at the hands of those who were supposed to have loved him the most, but they hated him the most. He let go of the excuses. He let go of his excuses that kept his life in torment and barrenness. And now his second son, he called him fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. And there's nothing that gives us the opportunity of fruitfulness more than the glory of confinement. Jesus said in John 14, 24, sorry, excuse me, John 12, 24, he said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. And of course, he was referring to his own body that was about to be sowed into the whole human race. So we could all be saved. But there's something in this. Psalm 92 verse 13 says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of their God. They'll be fresh and green and will bear fruit even into old age. They'll be full of sap, full of life, and will bear fruit even into old age. And uh, Jesus said in John 15, 16, speaking of all of us, that we are, he has appointed us to go and bear fruit. Fruit that remains, fruit that lasts. Has it ever occurred to you there's no such thing? What's the first thing that happens to fruit if you leave it too long on the side of your table? Huh? It rots. It spoils. It's over, baby. There's no such thing. God's not expecting you to carry on being a rotten fruit. Just getting more and more shriveled and more and more stinky. No, that's not what he's saying. He's not talking about the outside of the fruit. He's talking about what's on the inside of the fruit. The only thing that lasts in a fruit is the seed. And the seed, everybody, let me just say this, okay? Seed, man, do we like being seed? Because seed, yep, seed can go anywhere at once. Yeah, I like being a seed, you know. I can just blow, Holy Spirit, blow me along here. Yeah, yeah, and maybe now, Holy Spirit, blow me along here. Yay, and I can, I can go to this group, and, and I can go to this church, and I can go to this nation, and wow, it's amazing. I can have these friends, and you know, it's just amazing. I can, I can, I can dress with these clothes. I can buy that car. I can live in that house. I can, I can choose that second wife, third wife, fourth wife, fifth wife. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's a great seed life. Because a seed is a self-contained life. But you know what a seed can never do? A seed can never once produce a fruit. Not once. For a seed to produce a fruit, the seed has to die. The seed has to give up its life. The seed has to fall into the soil. In the darkness of the soil. In the, where no one's looking. And then, oh, it used to be such a good-looking fruit. You know, there I was on the boughs of my boss and my family and my pastors and my disciples. It just looked so good back in the good old days. I was nice and rosy and good-looking fruit, you know, juicy. 
I'm just in the dark, in the soil. Nobody even knows where I am. I'm just in the dungeon. No, you're in the glory of confinement. You're about to discover your true purpose. Because the water that's acting on the seed, and this is biological fact, is the very thing that causes that seed to give up its life and crack open and become what it was always destined to be, a tree. And from that moment, that seed can never, ever, 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 ever go where it wants to go, ever, ever again. It's stuck. It's now what it was always purposed to be. Not a good-looking seed that can go wherever on the waves and the oceans. You know, coconut, that's a seed. It can go anywhere on the oceans. But once it becomes a coconut tree, it's stuck on that desert island forever. Are you willing to be stuck in Christ? Are you willing to lay down your life into Jesus? I'm not talking about the spiritual Jesus, so to speak, and we've already given your lives to him. But what about the body of Christ? What about the house of the Lord that's the body of Christ? Jesus said that if you destroy this body, I will raise it up again in three days, referring to the body of his own the temple of his own body. And there is the body of Christ. I'm not just talking about catch the fire. Thank goodness the body of Christ is so much more richly diverse than this local church. But I am talking about somewhere, somehow, whether you're watching online or whether you're in this room, there comes a moment where you have to be willing to die for those who are the body of Christ and be among them, and be planted with them, and grow up to become the full mature person you were created to be, gloriously confined to bear fruit in the kingdom, fruit that lasts. For you, it could be your family. It could be actually deciding, you know what? I'm no longer going to look adulterously at other men or other women because I'm no longer a seed that can do what they want. I am a tree planted in Christ and I will love my husband and I will love my wife with the Holy Spirit's help like there is no other. Well, maybe it's no longer going along to an Ignite group. Maybe it's actually coming along to Life on Fire and learning how to lead an Ignite group because you, you're done with soaking up everybody else's spirituality. You're ready now to start producing spirituality for others. It might be your job. You're no longer going to work to take. You're now going to work to give. You're no longer going to work to make money. You're, or, I'm sorry, let me start again. You're no longer going to work. You are going to work to make money. You're no longer going to work for money. You've decided to fire money as your boss. Now you're going to go and work for joy because money makes a terrible servant. I'm sorry, a terrible master, but a wonderful servant. Money makes a wonderful servant, but it makes a terrible master. The reality is, number four, number five, let's stand, everybody. We've all been confined, as Joseph was, for fullness and family and for future glory. We've been confined for fullness and family and future glory. In Joseph's life, in Genesis 45, verse 7, when he shows himself to his brothers. He said, God sent me before you to preserve a remnant, a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. 
when we realize we've been brought into the palace to serve Jesus as his number twos, he did that not just so that we could enjoy the riches of the palace, but number one, for the deliverance of the family of God in the earth. To go out and bring in the children of God that he's longing to have become sons and daughters. And I love what Pharaoh says in verse 18. Joseph says to them, go and get your family, get your dad, get your brothers. And Pharaoh backs him up and says, absolutely, bring your father and your families and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. And I feel like the Lord's saying to us prophetically as a family of Catch the Fire, the father's saying, go, bring all your brothers and sisters, your families, all of you, Go bring your friends, go bring my family and come to me, not me, me, Duncan, me, Jesus, and I will give you the best of the land and you will eat the fat of the land. Just take a moment. Just, if you'd like to join me in just closing your eyes, take a moment. Lord, how am I doing embracing confinement? Am I running from it? Am I wanting to be free for myself? Am I wanting to be richer for myself? God, with all my heart, thank you for the glorious confinement that is mine in Christ Jesus. I surrender my will. So for some of you in this room, if you want to join me in just as an act of demonstration this morning in saying, Lord, I'm willing to embrace the glory of confinement, whether it's that I'm confined in the palace because my life has already turned around and I'm in just the most amazing place, but Lord, I want to make a declaration this morning that it's all for you. Or whether you're in the dungeon, you feel like you're in the dungeon and you just want to make a declaration, Lord, I'm, I just ask you with all my heart that you bring me to a place where I'm fully confined to your will no matter what my circumstances because I can trust you to get me out of it. I want to invite you guys, just come out here to the front. I want you to just, there's an anointing on this message today and I want you just to embrace, just say to Jesus today, I embrace your way and your will that, Lord, let me have a heart like you did to be confined to the Father's will forever. Lord, just give me a heart that says, that says like you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but only what he sees the Father doing. Lord, would you just give me, change me, God. Work in me so that from this moment on, I realize my salvation is not just for me. It's for you and it's for the world. And God, I give my life, just surrender it to you. Take my whole life and do what you desire with it, God. I let go. I let go of my rights. I let go, God. I let go of my right to get out of whatever I'm in. And I fully surrender to you in the midst of what I'm in. And trust you that you're good. Let your favor come all over me in the midst of my circumstances. Let your favor fall upon me, Lord. Let it fall upon me. Change my heart. I rend my heart before you, God. From this moment, 
Give me a heart fully yielded to you. 